Hey legends, welcome to another episode of the Virtus Performance Podcast. Uh, we have a very exciting guest for you guys today, uh, a very interesting conversation and a Hopefully the beginning of a lot more very interesting conversations. Before we kind of get stuck into that, um, I'd like to thank all you guys for listening. It's It's been a, a pleasure to see the, the downloads kind of continue to grow and to see all of the feedback uh, that we get, both positive and negative. Um, it's awesome to be able to have dialogue with you guys around what you want to hear, what you don't want to hear, what you get a lot out of, uh, and kind of where you guys see value. So thank you for that. If you have been enjoying the podcast, please share, subscribe, do all that kind of stuff. Uh, leave a review, pump our tires up, you know the drill. Um, today's episode uh, is with a man from Venice uh, in California. Uh, we first kind of got wind of what he was doing maybe about nine, 10 months ago. Um, lucky enough to be on a video call with him where he talked about organizational culture and, and leadership and he kind of had us had us hooked ever, ever since. So we've been following him on Instagram, um, on his blogs, kind of diving into a little bit of, of what he had to say and we were lucky enough to take a big chunk of the team up to Sydney a couple of weeks ago uh, for the Hold the Standard Summit. Um, and then on the a couple of days later, we were lucky enough to catch up with Logan Galbrick for a podcast. So today's episode uh, is with Logan. We kind of dove into what he does, and, and but more so why why he does it and how how he does it, and spoke about the the important conversations that need to be had around culture and development and adaptation. Uh, and I guess challenges and how we actually overcome these challenges and how we do it in a group as a team as a collective so that we can we can all make the world a better place so yeah you you'll get a much better idea of who Logan is and what he's about over the next hour or so unfortunately the uh, the mic did pick up a little bit more background noise uh, than we were hoping um, we're, we're in a little bit of a louder space than we'd planned but uh, all is well you can still hear the conversation and I'm sure the message will still get through if there's any sound engineers out there that know how to get rid of background noise that'd be great but otherwise just think of it as a little bit of ambiance <laughs> without further ado let's dive in here's Logan My personal and business goal is to be just a little bit better every day. I believe everyone, especially normal people, have a story to tell. The Virtus Podcast exists to help us all find small ways of consistent improvement by discussing the journey and experiences of each of our guests. Logan, welcome to the podcast. Well, it's a it's a pleasure to have you here. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be here. I don't know if I've ever had uh, like a follow up conversation. Not that we'll talk about this, but a follow up conversation with people immediately after the summit, like like this. And so, um, seeing you guys, like your <laughs> ears peeled back. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, it's been an intense weekend, and uh, I'm sure we'll dive into 
kind of what we touched on, but yeah. this is a, this is a cool feeling because we've kind of been fanboying a little bit for the last nine months or so since we started following you, yeah. and uh, it's it's cool to be in the same room. Instagram is a wonderful wonderful thing. It totally is. I well, I I appreciate the hell out of it most of the time. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it gets a bad rap, I think. Um, but the fanboy. Uh, thing is mutual you know like it, it's, it's a trip for me to get on a plane and go somewhere and then you know bring the human to this like connection that's there you know what I mean it's a yeah I, I'm, I'm feeling the same same thing it's like made yeah. real at that point you know? yeah that's true well the way we kick off the podcast mm-hmm. first question for you what gets you out of bed in the morning yeah. well I have this thing with uh determinism uh, and so I, I'm quite allergic and so I would say uh, curiosity is what gets me out of bed in the morning because if there was no mystery or or uncertainty or something to be curious about then we would kind of already know how things would go yeah yeah so uh, that just blessing of uncertainty and me being curious about it I think is what gets me out of bed uh, that's interesting but you kind of you seek it out right like it's not something that you just wake up and it can't the, the curiosity and the uncertainty comes to you because a lot of people this is probably me pigeonholing a little bit but a lot of people kind of set up their bandwidth and their, their walls and they kind of put their blinders on and just live their regular life but you kind of seek it out yeah I, I mean you know I think there's two sides to this this coin because life will dish you a heavy <laughs> dose of uncertainty regardless of your yep. framework even the most um, risk adverse people will be uh, introduced to this uncertainty whether they're seeking it or not but yeah I think my my personal f- framework includes a lot of latitude we'll say <laughs> you know <laughs> uh, and again that goes back to just my own personal thing with with certainty or like determinism you know yeah like if if you could tell me what my life would be uh you know in a definite way then i don't really see a lot of fun in doing it at that point you know mm-hmm. um, but yeah uncertainty is not a it's not a me thing it's, it's a life thing, thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know so yeah. it's like do you think you're prepared for that uncertainty I don't think anybody's prepared for it. I mean, part of, uh, you know, there's a a conversation in, like, the CrossFit world, for example, about, like, being prepared for the unknown and unknowable. (laughs) They talk about that a lot, right? And um, you can do things to uh, allegedly prepare you in the best way possible, but that's part of the characteristic of uncertainty Yeah, is that there's no preparing for a test that you don't know questions for uh so like in an absolute sense i'm not prepared for uncertainty at all you know like uh but i think we all uh some more effective than others we all uh, are doing some things to sort of manage that uncertainty try to move the needle as close as we can to whatever that thing is yeah and and uncertainty is such a big a big idea it's a big general thing mm. uh, 
luckily, if we care to pay attention, I think there's this beautiful uh, element of skill transfer, uh, to, to steal language from Coach Pauli. Um, you know, if the uncertainty that I'll face in my life and the uncertainty that you will face in your life um, can't be, you know, confined or known, Maybe, just maybe, we can, you know, attack some specific things with general implications, right? Like maybe you can go about a ballet practice that would inform, um, you know, know, how you would navigate the waters of, let's say, motherhood, right? Like these things seemingly have nothing to do with each other. But uh, you know, showing up and being disciplined and having attention to detail—these are these are ballet things and these are motherhood things. It's universal. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, so you know, uh, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of trying to like <laughs> mimic life. You know, there's just the whole like um, sports-specific training thing. It's like you know what that is? It's playing the sport. <laughs> okay, so it's like in baseball, you don't just have like a baseball bat with like bands attached to it and like get ready for specifically baseball uh, you do some generalized uh, things to develop yourself and then you apply them specifically outside I guess what you do who is Logan Galbraith and how do you I guess explain that to people that may not have met you before which is probably a lot of our audience yeah I uh I also don't feel very tethered to what I do because in my view they're just vehicles to sort of again play with this curiosity and learn about myself so I just feel like I'm a student Uh, I feel very you know I step in and take pride uh, to the role of teacher but I think things get weird when you start claiming teacher (laughs) yeah it's a little bit um, could have to do with what we spoke about all weekend which is that you know if you're the teacher with the lesson then uh, you know this is a generalization but that sort of sets the stage for uh, playing defense for that lesson and trying to confirm and reinforce those truths but if you're a student then you can also be a teacher and you have the optionality of progressing and evolving yourself you know so and if I was gonna take the you know the balcony view on who I am I'd say I'm a student of myself or life to give some context we we participated in your hold the stand summit on the weekend and you spoke a bit about (coughs) seeking disconfirming information and looking at yourself in the mirror um, what do you see in the mirror? I see a super green young man who <laughs> is trying to figure it out um, if, I, if I'm going to give myself a, a little more credit than that I do see specifically a young man who is willing to do things that um, 
a lot of people around me I observe are not willing to do in terms of looking in that mirror and doing the work and sort of uh, seeking mastery full well knowing that characteristically seeking mastery is a, a road just just paved with you know disappointment and failure <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know um, because the alternative uh, and it's a popular one seems like a charade you know it's like okay I, I don't like how failure feels so I'm going to avoid it uh, which is a lie because those roads uh, again we started this whole podcast talking about uncertainty and certainty those roads are, are not certain either mm-hmm. you know? so, so on paper it feels like you can like skirt the system but to me it's like there's a bunch of failure and disappointment in one direction and a bunch of failure and disappointment in another direction. Only one of those <laughs> options has the upside of actually doing something remarkable. And that way it doesn't seem like there's a choice, you know? So it's kind of how I look at it. For the people, I guess it's your being the student, you're learning and then teaching what you're learning, but to steal a little bit from your book or what it's called and going right, how do you... It's kind of the <clears throat> having two thoughts in my head at the same time, but you've you can't really cha- or you can't at all change what other people think or how they act and what they do, right? That's yeah. that's on them. But at the same time, you've kind of got the the way I see it, you've got the golden goose to a point because you've seen the other side or you're working towards the other side and you're looking to the other side. So how do you help? You know, if people are at those crossroads, direct them to going right. Do they have to? desire it themselves or is, are there ways that you can kind of ask the question of them? Well there's a super meta way to answer this question because regardless um, let's say regardless of whether I am sort of like trying to semi forcibly guide you to a thing yep. or you are already pursuing it yourself mm. the process specifically of going right as outlined in the book must begin with curiosity because curiosity is the starting point for what could become commitment and in order to go right or to pursue your peak expression which is what this little made up phrase (laughs) is for uh what we know about these people is that they understand commitment on a level that could not be understood any other way. Okay. Uh, and then this is like there's a cascade into a bunch of other highly transferable skills because you've committed to something in this highly powerful way you put yourself in position for the next step of going right which is to develop a large body of deep work no one has skipped that step in creating asymmetrical value and seeking mastery Um, you know once you commit to something and you develop this large body of deep work you're then fit for the thing that's coming our way, which is uncertainty and, and, and failure. Right? Yeah. If you were going to be met with some adversity, would you rather be highly developed and 
prepared for that or would you rather be an amateur, right? And so the, the obvious answer is that uh, those who have developed a large body of deep work then are more fit for the challenge. And seeking these sort of difficult challenges and being quite prepared for them is a sweet spot that we sort of know about, and it's the peak human expression, which is flow. Yeah. Going right sets the stage for this. Now, the last thing that sort of going right affords you is this, uh, you know, basic idea that we talked about already as well, which is these are all highly transferable skills. So if you change course or change your mind or what going right means for you evolves, ta-da, it's okay. You don't have to start over again. You are actually more prepared for the next thing, and yeah. that creates the thing. Well, everything that I just sort of like explained right there begins with this little seed of curiosity. Okay, so you have to, to on your own fruition, whether someone introduces it to you or you introduce it to yourself, yeah. you must be curious about the thing. Mm-hmm. And so... Yeah, I can share this with a million people, uh, and I will. But there's got to be curiosity. Uh, but yeah, they need to be genuinely curious, right? They, I mean, and and you, you can stress test this uh, by thinking about commitment. You yeah. Know, I, I, I was joking back home and I was explaining this to somebody, and it's sort of like, uh, if if I just decided in this like meeting room right now, I'm like, guess what, guys? We're committing to something. I mean, really committing. You know what that thing is? It's ceramics. <laughs> taking it to the mountain, right? We are going to be making all sorts of uh, pots, you know, pottery. Uh, it's going to be both outdoor and indoor, okay? You have my you attention. Pop, right? <laughs> I mean, there's no way that uh, unless there was a coincidence that you became actually curious about this, that you could commit. It would be a fake commitment. Mm. Yeah. So... So if we rewind back to like Saturday morning, 10 a.m., you've got yeah. 20 new faces in front of you. Yeah, and it's like, how did, is it just a matter of, okay, guys, we're going to commit to this thing, which, you know, as you said, most of us didn't know what we signed up, or all of us didn't know what we signed up to in its entirety. So how do you kind of shift that from we're going to commit to this thing and everyone kind of agreed to... I guess the end of the weekend where you've, we've spent two days kind of diving into content and trying to adapt and trying to learn and trying to kind of jump on the thing with like how do we I guess how do we or how do you um, I don't know what word I'm looking for express that to the group yeah or how do I solve that problem? solve the problem yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's a good question because it's something that I on one hand really worry about like in those those moments in the beginning, I mean, as someone who, as someone who is genuinely stressed and uncomfortable with the idea of speaking publicly to people, um, uh, and I really care about the content of this thing. I, I care about teaching the summit more than I care about most anything in the world, and I have, I feel a great deal of responsibility to deliver this message. Um, on one hand. On the other hand, I'm sort of solving this with the same sort of framework that helped me get over crying my eyes out anytime I had to speak in front of people, which is that I'm going to be there with you guys. I'm just going to be in the room. And, and that this is not a recital. 
thank God. Those are the ones that you brought in really, you know, you know, like ball my eyes out and be able to finish the first sentence in, in school. It's not a recital. I actually get to be me in the yeah. room. Thank God. Um, and and that's how I sort of like let myself off the hook a little bit. Because what you don't know, I mean, we could ask you if you had a positive experience or not, or what you would grade the experience or something, but I'm just going to assume right now you had a positive experience. What you don't know is that I'm doing what I described in the high-performance lecture. Uh, I'm doing that exact thing when I leave there each day, which is I am extremely dissatisfied with what I intended to deliver and what I actually deliver. Mm. So I'm like armchair quarterbacking my shit, right? <laughs> like, oh, you had that sweet example on the airplane and you didn't even mention it. And, like, you were unclear in this area. You, you didn't really answer this question in the way that you envisioned. Like, all of these internal things. Like, but you guys don't know that. Yeah. You know? And so, um, yeah, it's, it's the same sort of, problem solving that any I think performer in anything is trying to do which is like oh my god I'm about to do this thing and I want it to be perfect and in the back of our minds we're, we know it's not going to be perfect but it doesn't mean you shouldn't try well no doubt in a couple of hours we'll probably reflect on this podcast and, and there'll be 400 <laughs> questions we didn't <laughs> no, ask I didn't know oh my god I've, he thinks I'm an idiot I've done <laughs> I've specifically done uh, no shortage of half a dozen podcasts that started with one question yeah and they had paper just like y'all knew and there were lots of questions on there and we did not get to question number two yeah <laughs> you know and so I can empathize with that kind of so question so question number two that I've written down why should you give a shit why should you give a shit to me that's a question of self respect because I think and this is Maybe just me placing my view of the world on there, but I think that apathy is disrespectful to self. Um, and I'm and I'm now I'm trying to say like universal truths off the cuff here. But okay, so now I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to to check that f- for truth. So. And I realize there's nuance here. Uh, we need to decide what matters for us. Yeah. And so when you ask the question, what I sort of heard was like, why should we give a shit about anything? Mm. And I'm not saying that you should give a shit about everything, but you should decide what matters. And you should really give a shit about that. Because to pretend like you don't care about the things that you actually care about is extremely self-sacrificing and disrespectful to self I think <laughs> yeah well it is and I guess that's everyone's up to everyone's own prerogative to decide what actually matters to them and I think that first thing I think of is values so what, what are the, the deep-seated values that you've kind of identified that you have I guess it probably was shown a lot on the weekend but I'm sure your answer is probably different to our perception well, I can tell you specifically yeah, good. Um, because I've done some work to discover what those values Seem are. Seem like that kind of person. That's right. Well, it's actually really awkward to be 32 years old and someone asks you what your values are and you'd be like, I don't know. And that, yeah. I, I, that was my answer, you know, uh, then. 
Um, so my values are love, joy, freedom, growth, uh, how am I not forget my, how am I not forget my thing? Um, can't remember my fifth. I got four. Um, <laughs> I, and these are specific to, um, specific to me and specific to this season of my life. You know, I think our values change yeah. and all that. But I think it's important to do something to drill down into what your values are because if not, we can kind of solve the problem of that question by naming positively connotated things, right? <laughs> you know? And uh, then they don't really have much meaning. How did you, I guess from 32 to 33 how did you identify what those values were was it just so specifically in the context of therapy and then specifically in the context of studying um, NLP neuro linguistic programming yeah um, I took a master practitioner course you know it was like 16 days in, in Amsterdam and there's some some techniques to do that and you know technical leadership the spe- specifics of how you go about that probably matter less than you just go about that you know mm-hmm. um, yeah so I think it's important because I, I, I and I wasn't making a joke about the people I was making a joke about myself like it's fucking weird to be a grown man allegedly like so what are your values like I'm going to tell you how much time you got honesty true but you just like go down the list of words that have positive meaning yeah you know, I can imagine that um, the uncovering of what your values were was like liberating in a sort of sense. But and question one was it? Question two was it um, also like scary, or was it? Uh, did it expose you? Yeah, it was very scary. It was a scary time in my life. I you know, was like highly depressed at that point and um, we can rewind the tape if I if I said joy or not because joy is one of them if I didn't that would you be did if I did okay cool yeah. it'd be really ironic if I missed that one because uh, that was my first core value um, specifically because I didn't have it you know I didn't have any expression of it in my life um Furthermore, I didn't know how to get it. <laughs> I didn't know how to yeah. do it. And I'm really clawing my way out of whatever that was, like, as of this hour, you know? Um, because, yeah, like, I, uh, someone just asked me the, the other day, uh, so what do you do for fun? Was that, <laughs> that, was, that, was about yeah. four, that was about four jeans in on <laughs> Saturday afternoon. What do you do for fun? I was like, I don't, I really don't know. And so um, that was like the confronting part of like this values elicitation. Um, because when you feel sort of incongruent with yourself and then you see sort of in a very straightforward way how specifically you aren't congruent with yourself or your needs, uh, it is very confronting. You know? But at least there's clarity there. 
is important. It's important to go into what that is, you know, because uh, and this is part of the where I could place. Uh, I don't want to say the blame, but that's really the only word I can kind of come up with. The uh, I can assign the explanation for a lot of this was uh, it's really hard to get what you don't know that you need. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. We don't know. Yeah. And so um, that was like the upside of kind of going down this rabbit hole. You know. Has but, it helped further define what your vision is? What the standard is? Yeah. And I uh, in a personal sense right um, you know what's ironic about this is I you know, speak to people all over the world about like creating some sort of brand or a company or you know to do something remarkable with a group of people part of that little spiel is often to separate yourself from the thing that you're creating you know so like I am not Deuce Jim or strike movement or any of these things I participate and interact with these things and they mean a lot to me and I influence them and they influence me but it's important to like not be those things well the irony of the fact that I go around talking about that is um, I think I've done a good job of that part but what I haven't done a good job of is um, you know letting both entities win and thrive because it's so hard you guys know it's so hard to create something from nothing in the world that um, if you're like me and you're down for whatever (laughs) you will do anything to to make that thing remarkable or make that thing win um, including maybe forgetting yourself along the way have you had times where you've struggled to differentiate between you and Juice as two different entities because it's like from a personal point of view like I resonate with that immensely being you know you kind of where's the line or where's the where's the gap in my mind I haven't struggled in terms of that separation yep um the areas where I feel connected are less about an identity and more about a duty like at what what level and, and, and how specifically am I dutiful to this thing and so like very simple almost silly technical examples of this are just like uh, when and how long I am at the physical place of that thing you know yeah and so it's less for me of an identity thing and more of like, I think, I think that the shadow of what makes me good at some things is that I will just work harder. And like I said before, just willing to do things that I think other people aren't sometimes. So the shadow is that, of that is, well, there you are, uh, sort of overly delivering in this one specific area. And yourself is not that area. Yeah. One of, one of the, I guess, 
theories or thing that we talk about at the gym occasionally is a third place. So if it's, you've got your, your, ha- your home, your house, you've got your place of work, and then you've got a third place. Do you have a, a third place that you can go? Yeah, I do. Um, well, there's, there's two third places. So, uh, the, the local one is Minotti's. It's a coffee shop. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's not. It's it's a great place, and they do great things with coffee. But um, it's not super chill, you know. It's in the thick of it in Venice Beach, so uh, my personality sometimes is not the perfect one. So I have a, a like a little creative space up in Malibu where I go up and do my thing there. So that's my. What what do you find that gives you or allows you to experience? For me, it's it's space. I am highly introverted. Um, it's almost annoying how much I mention that. There's like <laughs> yeah. a meme where it's like something about introverts. Like, uh, if you're so introverted, why are you why is it that you can't wait to tell everybody you're introverted <laughs> or something like that? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm I've maxed out the scale on introversion in terms of the Myers Briggs test. Yeah. Um, so when I have space to be with myself and my thoughts, I am, I, in my mind at least, I'm unstoppable. Like I can do anything. I can do more, more better work longer than anyone I know. Now, the hard part with that is I'm in an industry or a job or a role where I have to interact with other people. And unfortunately, or fortunately, uh, as you maybe, I don't know, have success in that role, you interact with more people. And so, uh, you know, the thing forces you to have structures in place to protect your yourself or it'll just kind of like eat you up, mm-hmm. you know? So that's what it, it gives me is some space from the default mode, which is I am at service to whoever would like to take my time, you know? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Definitely resonate with that. We are... Um we have a coffee shop next street over, which is an amazing place. Same kind of deal, but it just gets hectic sometimes, yeah. and there's no place to go inward at yeah. all. Yeah. Communication and, and outwardness. So it's been able to find that place where you can hold space. And that and that term, I guess you use it in a couple of different ways. But what does it mean? Holding space. Yeah. So, uh, firstly, based on what we talked about in the summit. The size of the space you can hold is specifically sort of tethered to how big a container you are or how large uh, your conscious capacity is. Different, maybe more simple way to say that is like how many perspectives you can hold. And really holding space well is, in my opinion or my view is about holding perspectives for all the sort of stakeholders involved right um, you know there's a little tool that we uh, talk about around the gym that uh, shows up in NLP a little bit which is like the perceptual positions right so there's five of them uh, the first perceptual position is life through your own two eyes. It's the one that most people live in all the time. People who cannot hold space 
usually spend all their time there. Uh, there's a second perceptual position, so that is the position of the other. So if I had the ability to hold space for the other, I could then leave my consciousness and put myself into your shoes and not just imagine looking back at me, but I would feel the way you feel. I'd be you know, uh, experiencing what you're experiencing. I would have the background that you had. It's putting yourself in someone else's shoes. Yep. Third perceptual position is that of the observer, meaning an emotionless observer view as if you're watching whatever scenario you're dealing with on like a movie screen yep. or from the balcony and this is uh, sort of the true way to not be affected by the emotions of the situation really helpful for conflict the fourth perceptual position is that of the group so maybe it's a business or it's a family or it's a group of friends Imagining that it has its own consciousness and needs and values and, and, and whatnot. And the yeah. fifth is source, and that's like the highest expression of self. Or if you're religious, it would be like God, or you know. And so your ability to like see and include those considerations in any given moment then would be your ability to hold space. Um, so a little bit of empathy happening there. Yeah. yeah, I like that. How do you... <clears throat> you said that like, this industry that we're, that we're in, like, obviously it is very interactive with others. Why this? Why this industry? Yeah. It's a good question. So, specifically uh, because of my own dissatisfaction with what I observed inside of this industry versus what I, my experience of it through, through performance uh, as a team sport athlete. It, meaning, what I mean by that is the curiosity that got me in in the very beginning was built on this sort of gaping disparity between the multi-billion dollar fitness industry thing and the actual thing and of course I'm realizing that I'm biased when I say the actual thing but um, as my friend Tate Fletcher likes to say you can't argue with results so until further notice we'll call this thing with results the actual thing and then the multi-billion dollar industry with virtually no results not the thing yeah that's good and uh, <laughs> you know I, I get fired up on that still I mean I'm that's not why I'm in it today and I'll just maybe sort of, sort of start to explain that but that's how this all started yeah. which is um, it still fires me up just now as I mention it um, because I don't like um, scenarios where there isn't uh, consequences or accountability it's like a skin in the game thing yeah. you know it feels like people are it feels like injustice like people are getting away with murder uh, because if there was an industry of that size billions of dollars um, uh, the example I use all the time is like the automotive industry okay if we accepted in that industry what we accept in the fitness industry then it would be like completely normal for you to go out to your car to go to work every morning and then just like four mornings out of seven in the week 
your car just wouldn't work. <laughs> and we, we would just be like, oh, this, I mean, you know cars, they just don't really work. You know, uh, yeah. and, and we wouldn't accept that there. Uh, there's this, this kind of screwed up vortex of the fitness industry that sets the stage for this, yeah. and, and I hate it. Um, because it allows this thing to perpetuate and in my lifetime it probably will not change which is that the consumer is more interested in being off the hook for the responsibility of their own health and wellness than actually having the health and wellness meaning it's much easier for these people to just get together and reinforce that this thing is just hard and we can't really figure it out because last year it was paleo and this year it's keto and you know we're all kind of trying to keep up and everybody's fucking lying to each other so you have this propped up authority figure in the health and fitness space that will take people's money because they're them giving money for weird products and services relinquishes them of their responsibility in their mind Therefore, you can be a complete uh, thief, moron, or otherwise, and not just survive, but thrive in this thing. So that's why I got into the thing. Uh, I realized once being in it that uh, it doesn't really matter. Uh, It doesn't really matter what the thing is, is what I mean. Um, Just like baseball was for me, just like fitness is for me now like entrepreneurship is in a general way it's sort of an environment to receive uh, feedback you know it's it's the opposite of a vacuum okay and so when we put ourselves in these environments where we can get feedback you know where uh, a strike is a strike and a ball is a ball and and, uh, you know there's a bottom line somewhere and the weight on the bar is either or lower than your previous best. It's just information to facilitate development. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard you explain it before, it's, <coughs> and I've used it with pride. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that um, like fitness is the like flavor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, yeah. like the meat and bones of it is development. Yeah, it's like the flavor or the, or or the vehicle. It's like yeah. it's the the reason for the conversation. And now, uh, the 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 nuanced part of that is knowing that and agreeing with what we just said does not negate the specific deep dive into the fitness, right? Um, because here's 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 what's at stake, and I'll use uh, uh, Carl Pauli again as the example. Right, so Carl Pally, uh, in my opinion, the best coach on the planet. He's having a conversation that no one else is having, no one else is holding space for. And his background is in gymnastics specifically, and he was a national champion in Spain, Olympic hopeful, um, and comes out on the other side as a very influential, successful, globe-trotting coach talking about gymnastics except if you follow him closely not only can he do the gymnastics thing justice at the highest level he can also tell you it's not about the gymnastics <laughs> yeah. but if you're just an asshole who's never done anything on the street you can't say it's not about the gymnastics you have to go through 
the thing. Gotta have the runs on the board. Master it. Yeah. Be in the arena. Come out on the other side and say, it's just a vehicle to do the thing. Right? Yeah. You can't be a, you know, non-skin in the game, non-participatory, non-contributing, talking head and just say, it's not about the thing, man. You need a thing <laughs> to learn that it's not about the thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that com- comes with, I guess, just experience time and effort and sweat and tears blood and all that kind of stuff yeah but specific experience to being on the hook right yeah. it's like the level at which you are ultimately responsible is going to like uh, equate the, the gravity of, of that understanding I think right so 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 uh, you know again my background was in, in baseball I'm not even a baseball fan I'm not going to even begin to tell you guys that like other people should get into baseball or whatever but the level at which I went through that specific arbitrary thing matters not because of the sport but because of the implications of being on the hook your your livelihood your you know whether you you make rent or not depends on your performance in the thing is a different type of conversation than if I played the same sport and just played like a rec league on the weekends, right? Yeah. I mean, because it's not about the thing, it's about the, the, the weight of responsibility inside of the thing. You know, when you sign a lease of a business and take out a loan or, or empty your bank account for a thing, it increases the sort of weight and responsibility of, yeah. of that. Uh, those lessons aren't available to you if you are without risk. Yeah, yeah I think... Uh, of risks like that I feel as though I was significantly more likely to take those risks when I didn't have anything to lose and like I've been kind of one of my um, I guess improvement goals we talked about on the weekend is the ability to assess and take more risks because I guess when I started it was me and I started with a business partner and it was us and if we failed then you know we're not losing anything right because we didn't have anything to start with so now that we're at the point where you know bunch of people's livelihoods rest on this thing and then you know we've got all these we call Virtus family all these clients and people that are relying on us to do our thing so that they can improve their lives like now whenever I go try and make a big decision I find it almost like I find that fear creeps in because there's so much more to lose how and if you have been through the same thing or have you been through the same thing and how have you been able to work through you know just making that that judgment call on trying to get to that next level yeah I, I, I think this my answer begins with the general observation that we don't really understand risk very well to begin with as humans yeah and the reason why we don't really understand risk is because of how time works so and, and I, I can say this with a caveat of you being uh, unique to, let's say, most people because you generally are taking risks. But I think we don't understand it because we experience our own failures and shortcomings uh, very closely. We know those very well. We remember them very well. Feel them. Um, we actually uh, downplay our own successes and upplay our failures, whereas we do the opposite with other people. So we generally uh, play up 
the successes of others and we don't really understand their failures very well and that's because of how we experience time when you go through your life you're doing it chronologically right that's how I'm doing my life at least <laughs> okay mostly that, last year was 2018 right okay this year 2019 correct year. Okay. except if you think about it uh, that's not really how you experience other people because by the time you come to recognize or appreciate a successful person or thing, mm. that's like day one of your yeah, memory. Okay. okay. And uh, even if you were to really research and try to find out how hard they had it, you cannot unknow the fact that they are successful. That's how you found out about them in the first place. That's this sort of winner circle of bias, right? And... This skews our understanding because now we see this deviation. It's like, well, when I try stuff, it's really hard and like, I fail a bunch and it's like expensive and it gets scary and then there's like rent to be due or whatever. But then there's these other people who like fly in their private airplanes and they have crazy cars and they make great art or whatever the thing is, right? And so that like sets us up on a, on a trajectory of like inat- uh, inaccurate information, mm-hmm. you know? classic example I talk about a lot is like uh, Nike you know Shoe Dog is a a book worth reading it's incredible read Shoe Dog uh, I mean just to summarize it uh, it's a complete shit show and you know by the time you buy the book I mean you don't even need to buy the book everybody I mean the swoosh is one of the most recognizable brands on the planet Um, but what's what's unique is the there are moments in Nike's history where you know as the reader that the consumer, or I mean, you didn't have to buy Nikes, a person in the world would evaluate Nike as a raging success because yeah. it's on the podium of the Olympics, John McEnroe's wearing them, it's everywhere. What you don't know is in that exact moment, the whole thing is within moments of catastrophic failure. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't until they went public and guy taps Phil Knight on the shoulder he's like hey you're worth 250 million congrats where he's just like oh really (laughs) you know yeah and uh, and so this really skews our our understanding of the thing what this sort of comes down to is risk is everywhere why because of what we talked about yesterday which is life is uncertain period Hmm. in a lot of ways the things that we believe are safest actually have a hidden, deeper, way more dangerous risk. Uh, the classic example, and this is half the reason why I, you know I wrote the book, is if you seek safety in your, let's say, career, what you do is you try to avoid all risk and you find yourself 10, 20, 30 years down the road as an unremarkable contributor to a job that doesn't matter with no um, asymmetrical skills or value and the industry shifts or you get fired or you are then made redundant and what you do is you come out on the other side completely unprepared for the world that you still live in which is an uncertain world and so for me the least risky thing you can do is 
continue to put yourself in a relative environment of growth, which yeah. means you have to continue to seek out the challenges like we talked about all weekend that will expose your blind spots, expose your weaknesses, etc. Yeah. I think, and re- listening to Shoe Dog was one of the, the big kind of realizations that everyone feels like they're on the point of, or, and can be on the, uh, the brink of failure at any time. And we don't see that. And, you know, a couple of months after that, I was listening to a Joe Rogan podcast with Joe and Henry Rollins. And, like, these are two of the most, you know, from the outside in, the most <laughs> epic humans on the planet, right? <laughs> and they spent a good half an hour talking about um, in the imposter syndrome and, and not, and just both of them. And I kind of wasn't one of the, like, you understand it. Um, intuitively you understand that everyone feels that way mm-hmm. but to actually hear them talking about it and to dive into it and it kind of it made me feel like I was doing okay mm-hmm. do you feel like you struggle with imposter syndrome sometimes and how do you work through it if so oh for sure I, think <laughs> I just I flew to another continent with yeah. a bunch of people uh, allegedly as like some sort of leader in some sort of conversation and, it did good uh, <laughs> you know I, it's I, it literally it's all made up you know um, now I think it's important and it's valuable um, but I can't unknow that you know um, everyone as well that, that I sort of respect as like a high performer deals with this this thing and, and it's personal experience and podcasts as well and interviews and books whatever but everyone's sort of dealing with it and I sort of wish that um, our generation as we become quote unquote adults and like raise kids and things like this do a better job of creating a more truthful reality around that because you kind of want to go back and like shake all these parents that you like grew up around me like you guys were all making this up <laughs> yeah. you, you made up everything like you had nothing figured out you guys yeah. were a complete shit show and you pretended you weren't and now I'm you and <laughs> I, I know for a fact it was a shit show yeah yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a great point <laughs> and, and like us as students even though you're a student as well but you kind of the teacher role for the weekend we, we see you come in and, and explain these theories and, and how they how they work in experiments and actions and things like that and we look at you and we're like okay this is a this is someone on another level who's an incredibly evolved evolved human and I guess my question to you is understanding that you're on another level that you've worked up towards and you know whichever way you want to look at it where do you now need to go to evolve to that next level and the next level that's a great question um funny because just like I just described you are naturally biased towards playing me up and then I'm naturally yeah, biased yeah, of course. playing me down yeah. right? um, and so that dynamic is at play also the edges that I'm exploring and the places I need to go are quite small uh, in adjustments because there's a certain point, and I think anyone who's an adult is sort of there. Um, you can't see what you can't see. And so you're sort of looking for the next marker. And that, by, by nature, isn't going to be 
too far away from where you currently are. So to specifically answer your question, it doesn't look like anything too crazy, um, but just like it's a pain in the in the ass to put a kilo on your back squat <laughs> at this point, uh, it's hard to make yeah. like massive change to who you are as a person. So for me, uh, I'm really working on understanding communication, setting expectation and boundaries. Uh, you know, even though I talk about teams and communication and like all these things and I feel like I understand them on a level that you were able to experience this weekend, I still make critical mistakes all the time. You know, um, there's a, a natural thing that we're all exposed to, which is this sort of spiraling forward of complexity, right? Transcend and include, which means the container's got to get bigger or you're going to be more and more in over your head. And so as I evolve, I have to hold space for way more complexity than I did before, and that includes other humans. Mm. And so um, one example, just to like not have the most general response to your question of all time, is um, I, I have this, this default belief that if I've communicated one thing someplace once, <laughs> that I'm communicating it everywhere to everyone all the time, right? And yeah. so I have to remind myself that uh, I'm not nearly as clear to my team as I believe that I am. Uh, that's a Napoleon quote that I think I butcher in Coach's Prep 101. <laughs> no, I think I get it right in Coach's Prep 101. I think I'm just going to butcher it right now, which is uh, your orders must not be easy to understand they must be impossible to misunderstand that's like a cool little goal when you're dealing with other people that one is a challenge that I don't know yeah it's a bit of a head fuck <laughs> so it's like a thing that I try and stay true to is like it's not what is said but it's how it's heard yeah um, and that's like a big part of com the communication space talk yeah. um, it's sort of an extension of that what was the last thing you changed your mind as part of your evolution that's my favourite question such a good question <laughs> uh, I've changed my mind on a lot of things uh, I'm trying to think of the last thing that I've changed my mind uh, last impactful thing um I mean, this is sort of like a general thing, but with major uh, implications, which is a big part of my own development has been uh, changing my mind about my perception of the world. Because uh, as open-minded and curious and whatever other cool words you want to attach to yourself that you think you are you are seeing the world through a very biased inaccurate perspective and you know as you move through that stage four thing where you're like you know Johnny I have my method and my custom perfect uh, 
view uh, principles uh, on things. Uh, you, what that stage fails to see is that you are looking through a, a custom pair of glasses. Yeah. And uh, your custom pair of glasses are specifically as inaccurate as everyone else's. And so to get enough distance from that is uh, a pretty edgy place that I've gone in the last couple years, which is, it's sort of like uh, assuming positive intent on steroids, right? Like, that's a, that's a thing to, like, uh, especially in conflict, like, uh, assume positive intent on someone else. Like, not just assume positive intent, but everyone is literally doing what they think is right. Yeah. Including when you're motherfucking them because they have failed to meet the standard or whatever <laughs> the case may be, right? Yeah. And, uh, and that is a level of complexity that most people just rather not go towards. Um, and fortunately or unfortunately, I'm sort of interested in including that ability as I go forward. And so it's sort of like changing my mind about inclusion because if you're not careful you might begin to think that you're right and other people are wrong looking like currently if you were to look through your i guess biased glasses would at the world would that paint a picture of optimism or pessimism from your point of view well that's funny i'm I believe that I'm quite optimistic, uh, extremely optimistic about the upside of human potential, my potential, the potential of others. Um, in an absolute sense, I think I'm uh, intentionally pessimistic about how that plays out. But here's the thing. This is pretty gnarly. Uh, and it's quite liberating. And you can even attach this to the whole nature versus nurture argument. Which is, you don't have to figure out whether it's nature or nurture. Or you don't have to figure out what is the truth about uh, this sort of expression of humanity. Because it only pays to believe the nurture side it only pays to believe that we have the upside because even if you're wrong it doesn't matter anyway right yeah and so we all ought to just assume that we can do everything and that skills move in both directions forever and to just get after it right yeah I like that I think and one of the things I remember from the weekend was um, was kind of on that even if there's 1% of your life that you have control over then it's, it's a non-argument. It's a non-discussion. Right. And, and, and uh, you know, I, I learned these, these lessons playing this horrible sport where you, you fail and it's really confusing to figure <laughs> out. Um, but it, it was really a, a, a blessing because I feel extremely incongruent with a lot of people in the world the stage four judgmental side of these would, would say these are low performance motherfuckers but um, 
you know, I've just never met someone who has managed the things inside their control so well that they could consider caring or, or complaining or speaking about or worrying about the things that are outside of their control. And so uh, until I meet that person, I think it's sort of news to all of us to just get back to the things that are in our control, the, the, the process. Um, and what's scary is if you don't opt into, like we said earlier, an environment with heavy consequences, with feedback, uh, you'll never learn that lesson. It'll always be hypothetical. You know? But if you really go for it and try your best, like with the consequences of failing, you might actually learn one of the most important lessons of life, which is there are only some things inside your control, and that's where your attention should be. Yeah. It's kind of like circle around to leadership. Like it, it's your choice whether you choose to focus on the things in your control or focus on the things that are out of your control. An element of responsibility to yourself and to the people that you serve to choose the things that are in your control. Um, why did you choose to take on the responsibility of this? Because it's a it's a heavy burden, right? Yeah, it's a good question. I I have this uh, very significant feeling that. I am capable of so much, like more than I'll probably be able to accomplish in my time here. And I feel lucky to have that, um, but it is a, a blessing and a curse because if I were to not opt into leadership and to, to you know, sounds corny, but like give my total best effort uh, I couldn't unknow that then. like I, I, I would know that I was taking advantage of this sort of opportunity and it just feels uh, disrespectful to myself and to whatever sort of higher powers out there um, and, and I often wonder about other people's because I've never lived as someone else, of course, but I've tried to see what it would be like to be in someone else's shoes. And from what I hear, that makes me weird. <laughs> okay. So from what I hear, it's unique that I think I can do anything. And so the part of me who is trying to live inside of other people's shoes sometimes really wonders deep down if they really believe they can't do things or if it feels convenient to believe that because then they're not responsible for it. And I, I want to believe that everyone at some point in their life, this is also sort of why I wrote the book, you know, I, I don't believe that you're born and live a life of any length and die and never ask yourself, what could I be or what could I do you know I mean even the most unaware motherfucker has got to be doing laundry one day and be like is this it for me <laughs> yeah. you know I, I really believe everybody does that now the question is do they genuinely believe that they can or that they're not capable or that other people are somehow better than them or something you know yeah. and, and I don't know but uh, I, I 
definitely know that there's likely a tendency for us to lie to ourselves about that because it may seem scary. This might be me trying to find a simple answer to an incredibly complex question, but in your research for the book and as you kind of dove into it and, and created that thing, was there a personality trait, a, a line of questioning or something that you identified was allowed people to take that shift into is this it for me to actually going I'm going to load up and dive into my peak expression yeah so it's a in a in a not so secret way this is also what the weekend was about which is like pursuing your peak expression begins to look like continually putting yourself in the newest most relative challenge for your own development and what we know about that is that requires disconfirming information so it definitely pays to be of the mindset or of the perspective that is open to seeking ready willing and able to receive this disconfirming information because you sort of guarantee your underperformance by being resistant to that, right? So if your pride is such that you don't want to ever hear that you might be wrong or that you have some sort of flaw, then what you're doing is you're, you're sort of uh, putting the nails in your own coffin of development. And so if there was a trait that would, that would sort of yield the most growth results and the, the greatest opportunity to, to reach your potential, it would be those that elicit growth. So that would be the ones that are sort of um, both vulnerably willing to try and willing to look at the failure, you know? Yeah. Can we get, like, halfway there and still lie to ourselves that we're trying, though? Like, in terms of um, mindset, there's, like, that fake growth mindset she talks about towards the end of the book. Yeah, well, it's, like, the irony of the book, right? And, and it's sort of like what we talked about with... Uh, different stages so in the summer we talk about like evolutionary growth and you're in a room full of type a individuals the, the moment that you start listing a progression like everybody's like yeah i'm, I'm a progression <laughs> yeah. i'm you know i'm the furthest along i'm the best so uh if you hand someone a book and say hey there's this thing called the growth mindset and it really pays to have it people that have this fake growth mindset are going to be like well if it's valuable externally then I have that <laughs> yeah. you know? um, I think the, the the way to answer your question is uh, knowing it's difficult or uh, knowing any of the concepts that we just talked about doesn't really make it easier you know, back home, these guys, the the U.S. Navy SEALs, they get a lot of, like, I don't know, cred and, and, and notoriety for this training, this filtration process they have, which includes the, the world-famous Hell Week, right? So it's, like, five days long, and you sleep, like, you know, an hour and 15 minutes over the course of the five days, and these, like, weird naps that you can win, and, and you're wet and sandy the whole time, and it's just a place for attrition like trying to break people so that they quit and you know everyone knows that going in and you could even have a trans 
formative experience there and actually come to the realization that you are willing to suffer and even die without quitting on, say, day three of Hell Week, right? I mean, you're soaking wet. Your skin is chafed off. You've been awake for three days, and you're just getting your ass kicked, and you still can't go to the instructor and say, I've, I've realized it. This is how this goes. You keep me up for three more days. It's horrible, just like this, and then I just continue to not quit, and then I get my trident, and I become a Navy SEAL. So since I figured that out, can you just hand me the thing <laughs> now, and we just wrap this thing up? It's like, no. You have to continue to over and over and over again make these decisions. Yeah. yeah. Right? And, and, and so um, it's funny, like, especially people that are in training, we, we know that ultimately, mm. right? It's the reason why people who are good at this, like, almost in some ways fear their training because they know exactly where the edge is and yeah. they know what it feels like. And how much and they, it hurts. They know how to go there and they yeah. know that that's where they need to be. <laughs> you know, well, when it comes to like our life development, we somehow continue to tell ourselves that like we're, <laughs> we're going to like figure something out and then we're going to be at like our edge and just we're going to be chilling or there's some sort of like finish line. Mm. And, and life will remind you that your edge is your edge and it is hard horrible and difficult and if it wasn't those things it wouldn't be your edge yeah. so there's this process of continually opting in you know it's like you, know, you mentioned leadership that's what leadership is you know it's not like hard in the beginning like dog days of leadership made it through now I have yeah. a viable business it's like no dude <laughs> you're yeah. choosing to like just hang out there yeah. at the horrible edgy part and it's always going to be hard there's always or well, you're going to have good days, bad days, etc. but it's a matter of knowing that even at the end of Hell Week, there's going to be more challenges. Yeah. Yeah, that's a cool thing. You obviously get a lot of your discipline and drive from, like, intrinsically, right? Who are the people that you can kind of look up to extrinsically that are just doing cool shit that make you want to be a better version of you? That's awesome. Yeah, I, uh, this is another thing I realize is that Whereas I am quite intrinsically, um, it's not even a matter of intrinsic and extrinsic, uh, just internally oriented. Yeah. Uh, it's possibly possible to be motivated both internally and externally um, and have a different orientation. I sort of make sense of the world internally, whereas people that are twice as successful as me as as me can can orient themselves externally. Um, and so that's my bias. Um, however, I do sort of relentlessly seek out people that are inspiring to me and surround myself with people who are also vulnerably going for it. Um, Dr. Kara Miller, for sure, um, is inspiring. Um, you know, I'm very fortunate to spend time with people that I feel like uh, I don't belong there. And uh, in the last three years, uh, there's probably been a hundred times where in my head I've said out loud in my head, <laughs> how did I get here? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and um, there, there's a, a unique group of people up in Malibu that I get to be around tangentially it includes like crazy cast of characters, Pat Riley, Hal 
basketball coach, Rick Rubin, music producer, Mike Deep and the Beastie Boys, uh, you know, like Laird Hamilton and Gabby Reese, and, and, and it's just, uh, it's, it's less of a, a name drop deal, so I'll stop, but it's more of a, um, it's more of like, what's the same? Because as someone who felt like an outsider in a group like that, you start to see how these people interact with one another. And you realize that this is not a matter of like celebrity hanging out with celebrity because those are the only people they can hang out with. It's no, these people need each other just as much as scared, non-contributing, complainers need each other to yeah. feel safe, right? The people who are like too scared to try, so they hang out with other people who have also given up and they tell each other it's okay. <laughs> These people are like the savage version of that because they are on their edge doing shit that no one's ever done before and they look across the room and, you know, Josh Brolin, who's just like starting you know, five different superhero movies at, at age 43 or whatever the case may be, uh, looks across the way and, like, connects eyes with Laird, who uh, is going to go faster on a foil on a 50-foot wave next year than he did the year before, uh, and they get that, you know? And, yeah. and so we need sort of community in that way. Um, now... Again, it's not about, like, celebrity or whatever, but, like, these are the types of people that just humble me and show you perspective. Um, I think a lot of people can think small. You know, there's a moment, I, again, another place where I was like, how did I get here, right? Um, would go on these trips to Fiji, this, like, little island where it's, like, one of the best surf breaks in the world. I don't surf, but, like, it's just a vacation, you know? And uh, it's our small group of the only people on the island, and I'm sitting there in this chair, and in front of me is uh, Bob Hurley, who started Hurley, and he sold it to Nike for you know, nine figures or whatever. And, you know, he's the sweetest man, and brilliant, hard-charging guy. And then behind him, sort of like blurry to my vision, is uh, Larry Page's yacht from Google, which is... Yeah. Uh, like a moving city, uh, right, with a staff, like, bigger than, you know, um, the number of people that are on the island or whatever. And he is laughing about the levels of that. <laughs> and here I am in my little level. And, and so seeing perspective like yeah. that is huge. And if you ever feel like you're in a zone where you're, like, the big fish or the strongest person in the room or whatever, however you want to say it, uh, it's like literally stunting your growth. Yeah. Was that like a an action that you took? You just kind of sat yourself down one day, I want to be part of this, or was it more of like a organic, organic like you were drawn to those people? Uh, I don't think you get there if it was the former, yeah. right? I don't, I don't think you get invited if you're yeah. weirdly motivated like that. Um, I think it's how you show up in the world, you know? Uh, that, that's me trying to explain something that I'm grateful for and can't really understand. But, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, it, 
definitely people don't recognize the power of personal brand because you, you don't get the phone calls that you don't get. So you wouldn't have known what you missed because you were an asshole in high school or you or whatever, right? But, if, you know, if you show up, this is something I realized after baseball. It's like, it's, it's not hard out here, you know, in my opinion, after you, you sort of send it on something really difficult, like trying to play a professional sport or trying to do something, whatever it is that you, your lane is, you know, um, because you get out in the real world and you realize that everyone is scared and everyone is playing small and so that just to like try your very best in the world is insanely unique and remarkable because there's nothing really else unique about me or I don't know uh, and so I don't know that would be the only way I can explain it is uh, there are people who are uh, probably genetically attracted to that yeah. because deep down we all want to explore that yeah. and so when we see someone else doing it we want to kind of be around it yeah I like that you're all in pursuit of excellence and you're all showing up to the table and that's like half battle right? showing up and from there you have the the ethic to do your best totally you know like, and I feel like a douchebag because of like the ridiculousness of those names and interactions but I think it like sort of it lands mm-hmm. uh, you know but another guy who I really look up to that's featured in the book his name is uh, Nicely Abel and uh, he's not famous but he is world class at what he does and he makes coffee better than anybody in the planet and uh, I don't know if you know this but there's a world latte art championship. Yeah, this dude is. People fly from all over the world to like see him do his thing, and uh, that's what I mean by like uh, excellence is by definition valuable and rare and attractive. And there are things that he's learned about making latte art that everyone learns about you know, seeking their edge, you know, and, uh, oh, by the way, he has a job that, like, is easy to make fun of, he makes, he's a barista, right, but he, uh, as one who's the best in the world at what they do, does, he now is a multi-time business owner, and he is completely resistant to the fragility of ebbs and flows of losing jobs, and, like, he is permanently valuable to this planet. Yeah. How if cool you, is that? Yeah. If you ask him if it's about the latte art or not, he'd probably say it's not. Right. Totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned you were grateful for some of those people you mentioned. What else are you grateful for outside of that? I'm grateful for my health. Uh, you know, I think that's part of where this duty or guilt or whatever you want to call it comes from. It's like, you know, I'm a perfectly able young person with with nothing really to complain about you know um, also seen and even for the first time a little bit experienced like the fragility of uh, of mental health Um, you know I'm very grateful to have that now and and, uh, I 
don't know. That there's too there's too much around. My life is is insane. It's all made up. Uh, <laughs> you know, I've traveled all around the world, talking to people about things that I think are important. You know, I made a goal when I was really young to never make a resume for example still got that going for me good you know, it's too much you don't have enough you don't have enough uh, gigabytes on your computer we've <laughs> <laughs> yeah. got a couple of a couple of questions to finish up and you know, the hard some, sometimes sometimes the whole finishing up thing takes longer than the actual podcast so we'll see how we go but what are you proud of I genuinely am proud of myself. Um, I'm proud of what I've chosen to do with my life, considering the other options. I'm proud of uh, my people at Deuce Gym. They're the best people in the world. Uh, I'm proud of the fact that that thing exists. Yeah, I'm proud of uh, just tr- just trying to do the harder thing. I think. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. What are you most confident about? Uh, I genuinely think I can do anything, and uh, it's weird. Like uh, I've become more and more comfortable sharing those things. Uh, maybe it's just like the long form podcast situation I find myself in or whatever I think I, it doesn't really pay uh, to, to speak my mind in that way pu- publicly um, but it, I think it would shock people what I believe about myself in my own head and um, and I'm grateful for that confidence because uh, it's allowed me to try things that it seems like it's hard for people to try try their best do you think people will be scared or um, shocked at what you think of yourself because it's not normal yeah Uh, again that goes back to what I said either it's not normal or other people are just lying Mm. you know like I I don't know why I think that I've always thought that you know I I, I really don't I've the best parents in the world I mean they probably have something to do with it um you know but I mean I remember being in elementary school and like it just didn't matter what I wanted to do I didn't fear not being able to do it you know like the joke I've said before is like the only reason why I'm not an astronaut is because I didn't want to be one you know (laughs) it's just like I I don't know I, I don't I've never thought of limitations like that and I realized that, that either that's unique or other people are lying, but whatever it is, like, I, I lean on it heavy. Yeah. Do you sometimes have those doubts that bubble up that you can't do something, and then is there a way to, that you squish them back down? Mm, I think my relationship with failure is what frees me up. Because like, to be clear, I don't think that anything's going to be easy for me or that I'm, like, particularly good at something. Yeah. I just, like, am so so down to fail uh, that I figure eventually I'll just be able to do it you know Um, and I think that was reinforced by the baseball thing you know yeah Um, 
Yeah, anytime you try to do something the best in the world, especially something that's popular in your country and like millions of other people want to do it, uh, you know, you start to look around and you're like, I probably shouldn't be able to do this, you know, not like really fast or like, you know, there's just not a lot of reasons for that. Um, so the ace in the hole then becomes like just how kind of down you are, I guess. Yeah. Cool. And I and generally feel okay with failing not not in like a loser way like I, I, I you know play to win quote unquote but like um, it doesn't derail me to fail I guess where I think maybe it derails people or the fear of failure derails me yeah it strikes me as you're someone who even if you do fail you don't see yourself as a loser no yeah yeah for sure and that I mean that goes back to the sort of the, the stoic thing or the, or the view of performance that we talked about it's like even if I was, it doesn't pay to think that. Yeah. You know, like, maybe I am. But, like, there's a lot more upside in pretending I'm not. So, like, <laughs> let's just do that one. Yeah. Yeah. And you win. You win regardless of... Yeah, fuck, maybe yeah. I am a loser. <laughs> Potentially. We'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> what are you most excited for? Oh, I'm so excited for this book. Yeah, me too. I'm so excited. <laughs> I, uh... You want to know a secret about the book? A bit. This yeah. is cool. So, first of all, don't ever write one. Um, <laughs> so I'll Scratch that, uh, scratch that. Just, <laughs> stretch going off. I'm just kidding. Just do it. It'll just kick you in the teeth. Um, so, when you write a book, you have to, you don't have to, but every book that you've read that you've respected has been designed on the inside. So, there's a designer that, like, makes the words fit in, like, a square and stuff. It's not like Word where you just like, it's all jagged and shit on the edge. <laughs> I never really realized that. Yeah. I mean, I realized that like you do nuanced stuff with like how you do headings or whatever. I guess I figured someone did that. But anyway, it's this whole job of like making the thing, whatever. And uh, so I wrote this big long book and it was like, you know, almost 300 pages or whatever and, and took it to the editor and of course they like prevented me from ranting so much or, or being lengthy or whatever so of course I knew that the edited version would come down in size yesterday I got an email from the interior designer we're done and I'm not going to tell you how many pages it was but I was like how many pages is it and I was I wasn't asking for the vanity of that like what you think how many how many they jumped yeah, off <laughs> yeah. but I have to ask uh, to tell the exterior designer because they then decide how wide the well, the spine is or whatever yeah. and uh, she told me the number and I was like fuck really and I <laughs> literally told her to make it longer <laughs> <laughs> just like increase the fonts please <laughs> I don't know how she could do it but whatever whenever you read this book you're like this is a shorter book than this really is <laughs> I swear to god I said that to her quality, quality just justify it by saying you're just trying to Allow people to hold space within the pages by <laughs> adding more space within yes, the pages. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Um, yeah. So anyway, well, this uh, consolation. Some of the most impactful books I read are less than two hundred pages. Yeah, like I think you know it'll be that. Or more, principles but, are pretty long though. So principles, are, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just, I don't know. Hopefully, that's just a little humble insight to this process. Um, that book means the world to me and I was going to write it if no one read it so I really don't care if you read it well you've got two here yeah yeah, yeah it's uh pretty little <laughs> yeah, cool yeah mate 
Thank you very much. Thank you. This is fun. This is a lot of fun. It's hard to do double posts. You guys yeah. can make it work. We've, uh, yeah. we've tried both. Mm. Yeah. Selfishly, I like it when it's just me, but... Killer segues, right? <laughs> it's cool, because if I'm like, fuck, what do I say? I just look at him and he goes, oh, fuck, I'm going to say something. <laughs> it's funny you say that. Back to you in the booth, you know? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I guess I'd like to give you an opportunity for you to say whatever you want to say. Oh, pump right. whatever you want to pump. You know, I don't, um, I don't like uh, speaking from like a place that sounds like a finish line or some sort of like pedestal. And I think podcasts uh, can set the stage for that. You know, I think the thing I want to make clear is that just like you guys and everyone listening, we're all doing our best. You know, we really are. And uh, if you sort of are discerning about who you spend your time with and what you do and what you accept in your life, that's sort of where the magic happens, you know, because it's not like a matter of like you're blowing it and like these guys are killing it. That's not really what it is. Um, and so I think if everybody sort of heard that, they'd be able to, to do it up. Yeah, I like that. It, and then, I guess technical stuff like if, if people are listening that are in our world of coaching and movement and all that there's a lot of cool things uh, education wise on, online and it's all uh, I guess holdthestandard.com is the best place to go for that beautiful selfishly I have one more thing to ask for yeah the most I think beneficial section of the weekend was the difference between adaptive change and technical change can you explain that to everyone who's listening because I think that was just mind-blowing for me on the weekend oh cool yeah I too felt like we could have just stopped the weekend on <laughs> 15 minutes in <laughs> so we opened so we opened the summit with this concept of differentiation because uh, <clears throat> this is actually what makes this, this seminar unique in my opinion and so explaining it is sort of just a meta way of, of sharing what's coming most seminars and uh, educational opportunities are technical in nature meaning you go to a place or you read a book or you listen to someone to get their information well it's 2019 and that is the least important time in the history of humanity to get more information and so we're in this zone where we kind of don't really know what to ask for or what we need and that's because we don't know that there are two types of challenges there are technical challenges which is which is a, a challenge of information meaning the solutions to whatever problem that you have in a technical scenario can be solved with expertise. That means that there is uh, someone out there that has the information or the solution to your problem. Uh, you know, even something as uh, catastrophic as like having cancer or, or you know, breaking your leg or, um, you know, some sort of like financial trouble. These are all like very big time challenges for us, but there are people that have solutions and 
they are doctors and they are Google and they are books and whatever. Okay, well, the challenges that really give us trouble are not technical. The ones that we, we, we have a hard time getting over and they are adaptive in nature, meaning that it would require adaptation to solve them, meaning the person who has the problem would need to become another person in order to solve these problems. In a collective sense, we have lots of adaptive challenges uh, from like global warming, right? Like we can't, there's no person, I mean still to this day that we can ask how to fix this thing. Yeah. There's people with ideas, whatever. Um, you know, the ethics of artificial intelligence. I mean, there's not just a guy you can ask how to do that. Yeah. This is, we're in over our heads here. Um, and so this naturally sort of brings to the forefront that there's two types of leadership, technical leadership and adaptive leadership. We really screw ourselves up when we have adaptive challenges and we throw technical solutions at them. Okay, so in like our world, uh, there's a lot of coaches that think that they're like, one or two seminars away from being the coach that they need to be. And what they don't realize is that they themselves need to evolve and be more capable uh, between the ears, so to speak. It has nothing to do with the reps and sets. Um, And so adaptive leadership then would be able to drive this type of evolution. And that sounds or you're wondering how it's happening. Um, but there are, there are ways. And it generally comes down to exposing that which is not in your field of view. It's in your blind spot. You cannot see what you cannot see. You don't know what you don't know, etc. And um, that is really what makes the, the summit unique. And uh, when you leave there, you won't just have more information, which is fine. That, but you'll have this sort of like keys to driving, uh, you know, adaptive change. And if people listening are searching for, you know, how artificial intelligence or like global warming has anything to do with them, uh, the classic one is weight loss, right? Yeah. There's, you know, in 2019, losing 20 pounds of fat should be a technical challenge that we can solve. I mean, there are a million ebooks and a million diets and a million macro programs, whatever, where 100% of people that have 20 pounds of extra fat could just go to a website and lose 20 pounds of fat. <laughs> okay, well, a lot of people that need to lose 20 pounds of fat know all the diets in the like, back of their hand, but they cannot do it. And this is how we know that a technical problem is now an adaptive And so there's something about this person that they cannot see what is in their way uh, about this thing and what's not in their way is information yeah. I like that yeah <laughs> yeah because like, my big takeaway from oh big takeaway one of the takeaways from that was just that it's looking in the mirror and going how am I the problem how am I the bottleneck how do I need to change and adapt to fix it yeah and it's I mean it's not always that but it's often that because uh, it would make sense that a lot of our blind spots are found there because of how unwilling we are to look there. Like, yeah. if we were just looking there all the time, maybe our 
adaptive solutions would be somewhere else, but we yeah. definitely aren't looking there. Definitely. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Great. Thank, Thank you very you. much. That was awesome. Appreciate it. It's yeah, it's awesome.